0: Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. Today we're discussing Tina Turner's memoir titled My Love Story. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of badass celebrity women who have been torn down by tabloids, dissected by social media, all while facing career obstacles, broken relationships, and incredible triumphs, and come out of it all even stronger. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I am a writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and today's episode is going to get real deep, you guys. Uh, This book means a lot to me. I'm so glad she wrote it. Tina wrote this book at 73, looking back on her life, and there's a lot of levity and romance with her new husband, but um, as we all know, Tina Turner has a really infamous history of abuse with Ike Turner, and she goes into all of that in the book, and we're going to dig into all that stuff. So this is your warning to make sure you're in the right headspace to hear about domestic abuse, because her getting free from that relationship is a big part of the book, and also why I think this book is such a gift to the world. My guest today is Taylor Howard. Hi, Taylor. Hey, Chelsea. Uh, So Taylor and I have been friends since we were 17 years old. We went to high school together. It was a scholarship high school where everyone who attended went on scholarship, and you lived in a boarding school for the last two years of high school, and that is where we met. Taylor (laughs) is a content design manager at Facebook, where she leads quality for racial justice as well as the recruiting pillar for content design diversity and inclusion, You have the most professional resume of any guest so far. And previous to that, she worked in fashion, and her most important credit is the one that blew me away when I met her in high school, which is that she was in the Miss Teen Michigan pageant.
1: (laughs) I can't believe you're telling people (laughs) that.
0: I know. I just remember, though, in high school, I was like, whoa, a pageant girl. It was so cool. Um, So, Taylor, I introduce all my guests with the story of how we first met. But you and I met so long ago. I truly have no memory of it. Do you? No. I I have no idea. I don't know. What I do know is that we were we were friends in high school. We were like uh, fun friends. We became close and like had a really deep relationship after high school. And the memory I most di- distinctively remember as changing our friendship is that you came to New York City where I was living when I was in college, and you took me to my first club ever. And you were like, let's go clubbing tonight. And I literally did not have a single piece of clothing That you could wear to a club. And I remember you be you were so baffled, and you were pulling stuff out of your suitcase, and you gave me a dress that I wore as a shirt, and then I put it over gaucho pants from Target, and you took me to the club. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love that. Do you remember that? that? I
1: I totally don't remember that. What I remember is I moved to New York City and I came with two suitcases. And I went to your dorm and I said, Chelsea, I'm gonna be like couch surfing until I can find a job in an apartment. And I stashed my suitcases in your dorm room. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that was that was my moment to me of like we had Chelsea in this. In when this you are real. a
0: storage closet for your friend, that's when you know it's next level friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's dive into the recap. First, the title of the book, which I love, is My Love Story. And to me, that's Tina taking back the love story she is known for. She's known for for being this victim of abuse with Ike Turner. And this is her at 73. The book came out in 2018 being like, no, that's not my love story. This is my love story. And there are two ghostwriters I think there's got to be something behind that. Like someone got fired or whatnot. I don't know. And she had a previous memoir come out in the 80s, but it wasn't so much a memoir as it was Kurt Loder, who was the MTV dude, um, got interviews with everyone in her life. And it was it was like a compilation of interviews somewhat with her narrative, but not really. It was like an interview book. This memoir is her memoir. Yeah.
1: The only thing I really remember at Kurt Co- Loder, and I know this is like a total side note, but I remember, I think it was in like the mid '90s, and Joel was on like MTV News, and she was had her book of poetry, and she and he, he took a sentence, and he was like, "You realize, like, these are this isn't a word," and Joel's like, "This is my poetry."
0: The singer Jewel. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> and I always just looked at him as like this guy who's just like trying to down this woman who just wrote this beautiful book of poetry. And when I found out that he'd written Tina's first uh, biography, I was like, really? Loader, What does he have to say about strong women?
0: <laughs> it is so weird. And he's got like front cover credit. This is like his journalist book. And now having read her own memoir, he missed a lot of the good stories that are actually in this book. And then that memoir he wrote is what is adapted to make the movie about her life. So it, it missed a lot of stuff. So I'm so glad she wrote this second memoir. Tina has lived a really excruciating life. When I was thinking of guests for this episode, I thought of like the 40 or so people in my friend circle, and I was trying to think of people who identified as abuse survivors, and I realized I didn't know anyone. And then I realized that if someone else were to be doing this podcast, they wouldn't know to ask me to be a guest because they wouldn't know that I am a domestic abuse survivor. And it got me really thinking about how abuse survivors hide in plain sight. There's so many of us, they're everywhere, you you wouldn't even know it or expect it, and Tina Turner hiding in plain sight, a literal superstar, living in hell as she blows up, and we didn't find out about it till later, which is why this book is so important to me, and how much she shared and put out into the world for other women to heal from and realize you know the facade that a lot of people put on, and Taylor, that's why I wanted to ask you to guess for this book, because I know you've lived through a lot yourself, and also just to speak to the fact that we've known each other since we were 17. And I don't even think I've told you the story about stuff that I went through. I I can't I don't think I have. No, you haven't. Yeah, I've really kept it a secret. And um, it's weird. It's very weird to I don't know, maybe a handful of people in my life know about it. And now I'm saying on a podcast and I do feel that does make me feel crazy. But the whole point of this is that it's important to share. And so I really wanted to do this episode with a close friend. So Buckle in. Um, Okay, so I want to read page two of her book to get us started. Okay. You might be thinking, Tina, we know your story. We all know about you and Ike and the hell you lived through with him. We know you escaped from that terrible relationship and that you endured. But here's something that might surprise you. At this point in my life, I've spent far more time without Ike than with him. 42 years to be exact. That's a whole second life one with adventures, accomplishments, and love beyond my wildest dreams. But there's also been a dark side. During these past few years, I've faced life and death challenges I never, ever expected. Let me tell you my story. So I love how that starts, and I love that she's pointing out that, like, she's had more life without Ike, and yet, you know, she's still known as as his ex-wife, but, like, that's not the life she's been living.
1: And I also love that, like as you said, so many people are so familiar with her story um, based off Kurt Lur's book and based off what's love got to do with it. And she says multiple times throughout the book that she's never seen what's love got to do with it and she can't bear to watch it. And I thought that was just so fascinating because maybe, you know, the way that we think of her, is just really just a blip for her, right? And it's how everyone sort of just like, Kind of puts this this frame around who Tina Turner is. Um,
0: yeah, I also think that's why, like, when you've been through something, you don't want to share it because it it's it'll define you. So you'll stop being a singer. You'll stop being. You'll be known as this victim of abuse. And I think that holds a lot of people back. And I also think the movie, the movie as it, as horrible as it is, is not one tenth as bad as the reality. <laughs> So I also think it would probably infuriate her to watch and be like okay you, this is that you're actually doing the nice version which is nuts. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so she starts this book uh, about Her and the love of her life, who she's been with for 25 years. Um, And it starts with them getting married, and it's Erwin Bach. I was not ready for Erwin. I Googled (laughs) him. He's this like German, almost Hugh Grant looking dude. He's 20 years younger than Tina, and they met in 1986, which for her is kind of midway into her comeback from Ike. And he's just like this young man at her side. They meet at a business dinner. She tricks everyone at the dinner into giving up their birthdays where she's like, oh, I think we need everyone's birthdays for like a business reason. And then she goes and matches her and Irwin's astrological charts together, sees that they're a match. And then the next time that they have dinner, she dresses up and she lends in and she's like, I want you to make love to me. And he's like, oh, okay, great. Um, So great dating plan. Match your charts and then just say, you should fuck me. Um, They have, like, a whirlwind little romance, but then he does a very typical L.A. fuckboy ghosting of her. He ghosts her, and he, like... She thinks he's out of the country. And then a week later, he's like, No, I've been in LA the whole time. And she's like, I've been pining for you. And so she's so upset. But then he comes back. And I love that a, a fuckboy story ends in them being together for 25 years. It's one of the rare, the rare tales of it happening. He proposed to her when he was 33 and she was 50, but she was too scared of marriage because of Ike. And she said no. And then they stay together. And 23 years later, he proposes again on a yacht in the Mediterranean.
1: Yes, okay. We have to go back to the astrology thing because I think that was like one of the moments where I was like, "Oh my gosh, Tina, yes!" Because I do this with every guy I meet. I'm like, "So, what's your sign?" And then I'll go <laughs> online and I'll be like, "I'm a Scorpio," and he's in Gemini. What does this mean? And but like, does it ever actually
0: whole thing? <laughs> okay, if you if you have a thing with a guy, you're like, "Oh my god, I really like him." you're a Scorpio, you go online, you see it's a sign that's matched horribly with you. Does it actually stop you?
1: No, it doesn't. Okay. And she says this in the book as well. And I just identified so hard with this because she was like talking about her psychics and, you know, charts and all these things. And she she says it's like, it's like a thing where... It sort of just gives you guidance for the future, right? And that's totally how I think of it too. Like I think that, you know, so many like smart, you know, really amazing, go-getting women just like love astrology. And I have this theory that it's because like we all just, like, want to, like, we're all just, like, anxious little bundles of craziness. And we just want something that's going to, like, help us control the future. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. But it's just, like, something that to help form a plan with.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah, I just love that. <laughs> I also have a theory on that because almost every single female celebrity memoir has a psychic moment in the book. It's one of my favorite moments that I always look for. There's a bunch in this book. And yeah, really, really smart women love psychics, astrology, stuff that gets made fun of. But I come from that world pretty heavily. My mom's very new age. I've talked to psychics and intuitives my whole life. And I've kind of come to the theory that like women are extremely perceptive creatures I think just in our biology of being caretakers and you just kind of always have to have your feelers out. And then if you go through shit in your own life, you become extra perceptive. And I think those people and those things are reading energy that you already have, that you already know in your own body, but it's giving you the scaffolding to um, to know that it's true. And it's giving you the scaffolding to like take all your own intuition and sort of create a plan for yourself. And it's like giving you that like weight to it. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, yeah, I totally agree with that. <laughs> I hate I hate that like women are witches T-shirts have like become popular on Etsy because I really do am sort of like yeah all women are witches. That's why in history they're like women are witches because every single woman is a witch in my opinion. <laughs> um, okay. So she compares this, like, beautiful yacht proposal to her proposal from Ike, which was just, like, we're getting married for, like, some financial situation. He had so many other wives and girlfriends. She was, she was, like, I didn't even, I think he might have still been married when he had us get married. They had four kids together. One was their kid that they'd had, and then two kids were his with a previous woman, and then one son was hers with a different member of the band, And he's like, let's go get married in Tijuana. She puts on this church hat, you know, because she's like, well, it's a marriage. I should look proper. And then he takes her to this, like, dump in Tijuana, gets her married. And then after the wedding, he takes her to a whorehouse. And it's not even just a normal whorehouse. It's like a really disgusting, horrific one. And she said she was so embarrassed being there in her, like, proper church hat that she'd never shared that story before this book. And she shares a lot of details in this book that she hadn't previously shared because it was just so embarrassing.
1: Yeah, I think to go back to like another point that you had earlier, like she really did like compartmentalize a lot of what happened throughout her life. And she says in different times throughout the book that like, there's like two Tina's. There's like there's like the, the me Tina, there's a stage Tina, but then she's like, there's also Anna Mae. And I feel like she's sort of like, travels throughout these like personas and people in order
0: to sort of I guess uh not like forget to survive. Things, just, no, yeah, to yeah, survive. Exactly. I mean, yeah. And I look I talk about trauma on this podcast. It's now just becoming ridiculous, but it's a big part of my life studying it. And I and um your brain does that so that you can literally survive. It'll shut certain things off. Um, it's why, you know, when you're a victim of something you make a terrible witness because you have your brain blocked it out so that you could literally keep living and I think she's blocked different things out and put them in different places just so she can simply keep going and I think this was one of those things. I also think that's why Kurt Loder wrote the original memoir cuz he was interviewing people around her and she just like what she wanted to like tell it but she like wasn't ready to do it this way. Yeah. Okay, so the book begins with her wedding to Erwin. It is such a fun chapter. She's a bride when she is 73. They get married in their literal castle, a chateau they own in Switzerland where they've lived for 15 years style, aesthetic, and design is like so important to Tina. A very weird part of this book is that she'll stop to describe the decor of rooms she's in quite often. And like decor that like Ike had her decorate things that she hated, but now how she likes to decorate things. So like decorating is like a big part of the book. She talks all about the wedding. She has this wedding dress that is green and black. It's Giorgio Armani. And then she wears it with rhinestone capri tights and open toed shoes. It is such a look because she looks divine, but you're also like, oh my God, did this bitch wear capri tights on her wedding day? Yes, she did. And they're rhinestone. It feels like something I would do. I was
1: just gonna say, like the the detail of like fashion that she goes into is like so interesting to me too. Like, I mean, with every like sort of like big instance in her life she starts, like, explaining what she was wearing, and I think, like, I don't know if, like, men do this or not, but I know I definitely do this. Like, I have outfits, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, I remember, like, exactly what happened in my life with that outfit, um, and hers is always just, like, linked to, like, you know, the Giorgio Armani wedding dress. When she, like, ran away from Ike, she was wearing a white Yves Saint Laurent pantsuit. Um, when she was, like, posing on the Eiffel Tower, I think like Peter Lindbergh took a shot or something. She's wearing a which is like very French. And as she goes throughout the book, though, she like has this also idea of just like, how Armani is just like such so, such like this brand for like this older woman. And as you continue on, she only wears Armani. and She only talks about Armani. And it's so funny, it I didn't even so so realize that.
0: <laughs> of course you picked up on that with your fashion background. Side note, whenever I have a fancy event to go to, I text Taylor and I'm like, can you please help me find something to wear? Your lips are always great. Okay, so. What's interesting is that we just did the Mariah book. And in the Mariah book, she also will take a page to be like, here's the socks, here's the shoes, here's the accessories. And I, it really does feel like a, a female quality and something I enjoy because when you read the outfit, you get a deeper understanding of where their brain was at. It's kind of like, you know, when you have your first day of school and you just spend so much time being like, what am I going to wear for that outfit? It like gives you all those vibes at, in each moment. It's really funny that you brought that up. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, it's so good. And so, okay, so then she watches her guests arrive from her Buddhist meditation room that she has like a huge glass window overlooking the garden. And she's like, I don't want to miss my wedding, but also I'm be- I'm a bride and they won't see me till later. So she just watches the whole wedding happen from her meditation room. It's this huge grand wedding. The Star-studded guest list is off the hook. Oprah's there. At one point, a helicopter drops rose petals over the entire wedding reception. And she's like, Oh, that was a gift from a friend. Part. <laughs> yeah. I was I like, that's like, Oprah, wedding right? Wedding. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> so insane, just extravagant. And, and it's the you know, it's in her third chapter of life, too, when she's having this like princess wedding. She said there were hundreds of flowers, and they consulted the Farmer's Almanac and the stars to find a good day to get married on. And the whole day, Irwin's like, it might rain. And she's like, it will not rain. And she refuses tents or a plan B, and she says, I'd known it wouldn't rain on my wedding, because when you've suffered as long as I have, you deserve some kind of reward. And that's how she knew it wasn't going to rain. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know, I actually, I love so much how she starts off this book with just like crazy extravagance. Because as I started reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, such problems, Tina, with rose petals. She's had like a hundred thousand roses or something yeah. like on the wall or something. Um and I was just like, okay, like, I don't know if I can relate to her right now. <laughs> but it was just such, like, an interesting, like, juxtaposition between, like, that part of her life and then, you know, the Ike days that she goes into and sort of her her growing up, which was yeah. not poor, but, like, very, you know, plain and meager. Um, and then, you know, she ends it again sort of full circle, which... But it's really, really beautiful, actually. yeah, yeah. it's a it was- really
0: cool arc where where you're like rooting for the the helicopter and the extravagance by the end of the book, where yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, and then, after she describes this wedding, she's this huge wedding. and then three months later, she has a stroke. And then all her health issues pile on. It's the stroke. Then she gets a vertigo intestinal cancer, and then kidney failure. And she's starting the book needing a kidney transplant. And she's going to the hospital constantly and sort of like waiting as she's doing all these things for her health. And that's when she starts looking back at her life and is ready to write this book. So then she goes into her childhood. She was born Anime Bullock, and she said she was an unwanted child in a climate of bad karma. Her mom never wanted her. She abandons her when she's 11, and she struggles in school, never realizing it's because she has a learning disorder. And her mom is just very cruel to her. This is our first psychic moment. It comes early in the book where she sees a psychic, and he's like, your mom never wanted you, and you knew it in the womb. And she goes and tells her mom, like, you knew it when I was in the womb and her mom was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. One thing about this book is like, and that she never really goes into though, but there's such like generational trauma throughout the whole thing. And it like starts with this, you know, it's super sad story about her mother not wanting her. But then as you like go on and you see like the relationships that she has and the relationships with her children it's just also reflective of the,
0: the beginning stages of her life, but it's really interesting. She never she never digs into it. I totally agree, and I think and like some of the sadder things that happen later in the book that we'll get into. You you look back on her mom not wanting her and not loving her and realize that's kind of what formed her and what she sometimes passes on. It's it's really sad. I totally agree. And that that's kind of a tie-in with the Demi Moore book where, like, you can just see intergenerational trauma from, like, mother to daughter to mother to daughter. Um, okay, one detail I loved here is that Tina later buys the school she was bullied in for having a learning disorder and turns it into yeah. a museum <laughs> of Tina Turner accomplishments. I was like, I love that. I know. I, honestly, I want to go buy my first high school, and I thought I wanted to blow it up. But now I realize I just want to make it into a shrine to myself. I think you should. <laughs> it's such goals. I was like, this is crazy. And she doesn't even go into it, really. She's like, yeah, and then I bought the school, and I turned it into a museum. You're like, Okay. Yeah. So cool. (laughs) She grows up in the country, and through her sister, she goes to a club in Tennessee where Ike is performing. And she knows if she can just, like, get on that mic for a second, she'll get put in the act. And that's what happens. One night, she sees her opportunity. She gets on the mic, and Ike, very quickly after that, starts to make her the star of the act because she's just such an incredible voice. And their relationship doesn't start romantic. She's actually with a different band member who she has her first son with. And then later they start being romantic when a different creepy guy is stalking her and she has to hide from him and hides in Ike's room because she knows and trusts him. And then that starts her relationship with with Ike. Oh, it's just like one bad man leading you to another bad man. Totally was. It was so shocking.
1: I think it was also shocking to her that this led to a sexual relationship. She she doesn't really like dig into it, but it was just like, Sort of something that kind of just happened, I guess. But she never really sort of talked about why or how. It was just like...
0: Because I think, yeah, I think it just started happening. And then, yeah. you know, he was in control of it. She said the first time she saw him, her first thought was, God, he's ugly. Yeah. And that's also the thought Mel B has when she met her abusive husband. Like, where your whole body is like, ugh, no. And then you, like, go on and marry them. Um I don't think that's, like, I think I think that's, like, weirdly a somewhat common experience. And then she later says that him not being good-looking and the unreal racism he and his family endured is what, like, turned him into this abusive person who always wanted women and power and all these things because he was, like, made fun of so badly for for being ugly. Yeah. Which I thought it was nice of her to give him... A page of like here's why he's like this you know I was like that's really generous of you Tina because the stuff we're about to read is like pretty crazy I think
1: like also just for herself she needed to like figure out something like there needed to be a reason I think sometimes uh, you know when you go through like emotional abuse or physical abuse you you're like why like why is this person like this and I think for her it was like this is this is why. And it's sort of oh, like that's an interesting take. with some of the,
0: yeah, of the that it was actually for her, yeah, cause I was I was like, oh, this is so interesting. She's going in this. Um, okay. so, One very intense part of the book is that Ike changes her name to Tina Turner because he wanted to be famous, but he couldn't do it without her talent and her voice. But then he also wanted to control that. So he changes her name to imply that they're married. They're not married at this point. And then to tie her to him and the act forever so that she can never be a solo entity. She'll always be Ike Turner's wife. Again, they're not married. Um, she doesn't want to change her name from Anna, so he forces her to. And so I'm going to read the page on that. This is, uh, your trigger warning. It's, it's a tough page, but I think it's important to read it. I never, ever expected what came next. Ike put down the stretcher and ordered me to get on the bed. That was really awful. I hated him at that moment. The very last thing I wanted to do was make love, if you could call it that. When he finished, I lay there with a swollen head, thinking, you're pregnant and you have nowhere to go you really have gotten yourself into something now. Tina Turner was born that night and little Anne disappeared forever. So she doesn't want to change her name and then he beat her. And then she says make love because she can't. She still can't say rape. He raped her. And yeah. that's how he forces her to change her name and that's where her name is born from, which is just so true. It's, it's a level of tragic that's hard to take in. Yeah,
1: I agree. Um, and... It's so, it also is like so crazy that then he like
0: trademarked it.
1: So he, yeah, that's,
0: yeah, he trademarks her name immediately after so that he owns her name. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also uh,
1: somewhere in that passage, she's like, she's sort of, that's like the moment where she's just like, I don't have control. Um, And I think like throughout, so often throughout this book, she talks about like, I didn't have control or, you know, I, had no path and it turns up over and over and over again. However, I actually don't know. She ends up having control in the end, but I found it just like, so interesting how that like kept, kept popping out throughout the book.
0: Yeah. I mean, really him taking her name from the very beginning is, just, and it, and it shows that he knew what he was doing. And then, Okay, so their first big break comes from Ike wrote a song for Tina about a woman falling in love with an abusive man. That's literally what the song is about. And it's a hit. And then, you know, they go on to have hits like Proud Mary and Honky Talk Woman, so many hits. And during this period is when she discovers her famous hair because she went to get her hair done and the chemicals literally burned all her hair off because of, you know, to get it straightened and like it's such an intense process. She loses her hair and then puts a wig on that night. And then that becomes her hair for the, and her look for the rest of her life. And she learns how to sew and make her own wigs and like sew hair into wigs. And she becomes this like master of wigs. And then it becomes her look forever. You know,
1: one thing that I definitely noticed throughout the book, especially in the beginning was her thoughts on her hair. Like she talked about it being like, really thick and unruly. Um, And then once she got this wig, it was like, oh, now I'm beautiful because I have this like straight, long, you know, very like European type hair. Um, And I think later on, someone asked, someone, a doctor, asked her what her race was and she said black. And he was like, oh, but your hair. And And she includes that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was so interesting how she kept doing that. Um, I, I mean, I think it's just like,
0: Hair in Black women, is just such a, like,
1: very complex topic.
0: Yeah. And she's also, she's of a different, like, it's like you wish Tina could be of this time where, like, that you you have more possibilities to, like, not be like, I have to have straight hair. And then it's, like, you know, a little more culturally acceptable. But you can really feel that she still held on to what culture told her back then. And, like, it's yes. her feelings now because of the generation she was in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that yeah, shows and- up a lot with her relationship with Ike as well. It's just like, oh yeah, I like agree. you know, men beat women. That's what they do. Um, yeah, calling it making between love. a husband and wife is not rape, right? Even if it is. Yes, yeah. Um, she yeah. has
0: a lot of archaic ideals that are still in the book, but it's also it's also something that I I like reading about though because you really are hearing what is in her brain. Um, Okay, so then back into this section, so much stuff is happening as her and Ike perform. One story I loved is that one time she gets sick with TB, and Ike doesn't care. He doesn't care when she's sick. He doesn't care for her. So she has to drive herself to the hospital. And when she goes into the garage, there's only one car available, and it's a limo. So Tina Turner with TB drives herself in a limo to the er it's so wild she says like she has a black eye almost every day ike hits her often with his shoe because he's protecting his hands because he's a guitarist so the beatings are even harder because it's with another object and he does things like throw hot coffee in her face and going back to what you were just saying taylor when i was recapping this book on instagram you sent me an article from the 50s about how hitting your wife was considered therapy and an also and that's from the 50s marital rape was legal in until the 90s so this is kind of going back to like what was taught to women and men and humans each decade and that plays into how tina is talking about all this right totally i think it's also like
1: um maybe i'm like ike turner's wikipedia page where he was in an interview and he said yeah i hit tina but i never beat her and it's like, even he was like, this isn't a big deal. This is just what, what happens and what happens between married couples.
0: Yeah. And that there's a difference between the two, which is right. so crazy. Um so during this time period Tina finds Buddhism and she hides it from Ike it's her own special thing and she starts doing chanting and she starts doing like hours of chants and she says doing this is what makes her strong enough mentally to start to break away from Ike which I found so interesting which is that ritualistic chanting is what helped her keep her brain in a, in a mentally strong enough place. And then there's another psychic moment. She goes and sees a psychic, and they say, a partner of yours will fall from a leaf in a tree in autumn. So vague, but she's like, yes, <laughs> that's Ike. And then it comes true when... Sort of the crack in this relationship, interesting enough, is when Phil Spector has Tina come and sing on Ain't No Mountain High. And he hates Ike, and he doesn't allow Ike into the recording sessions. And it's weirdly this moment where Tina gets to be an artist and a solo entity in a way she's never been able to be before without Ike. And then, but Ike gets all the money from that song. He takes it, builds his own studio for himself, and then once he has this studio, it becomes his own demise, where he's drinking and doing drugs and becoming more of an addict, and he's wasting away in his own studio as he writes songs that don't go anywhere. And what's crazy is that, like, Phil Spector, so she's like, oh my God, he was my hero in that moment. He's he's def- he's a known mon- monster, you know? He's, right. he's, he's in jail for murder at this moment. And Tina's, like, still nice about him in the book, She's like, he's this great guy. And what's even crazier is that he was married to Ronnie Spector at that time, who he kept in a cage. Um, (laughs) It's crazy. By the way, the Ronnie Spector memoir to come at some point on this podcast. Um, But yeah. And Taylor, you found even more nuts stuff about this. Yeah. Yeah. It was so crazy. So this book was written in 2018,
1: and I was reading about Phil Spector, and he had said you know, Ike was actually the real talent of Ike and Tina, and you could go anywhere and find, you know, five Tinas or something like that. Um, and he said that, like I at Ike's funeral, I believe, or right before
0: Ike passed away, yeah, like after the first book, he was like, yeah. she shouldn't have written that book. She shouldn't have been mean to Ike, and it's like, what? right And then, yeah, years later, <laughs> she's still nice about him in her memoir,
1: yeah, I mean, it's I' really I think wild that, I mean one one theme that like always comes up in this book is like turning poison into what is it? Um, I don't know. Diamonds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait. Um, turn Poison into Medicine. Oh, great, great. And she says this a few times throughout the book. And I think that, like, just because when she was recording, was it River High,
0: Mountain something? Um, yeah, maybe, it, was, it was River Deep, Mountain High, which is, like, Phil Spector's number one song, too. That was the first time that she realized that, like, I can sing
1: songs my way and other people want to work with me and I can be a star all on my own. And I think it was, like, regardless that it was Phil Spector. But she's yeah. still just like, but, you know, yeah. it could have been anyone. Of course. Um. And I really, I do
0: get that, where she's like, this is poison, but it's helping me. And yet, the book is written in 2018. We can shade Phil Spector, right. convicted murderer. <laughs> we can do that. And I just, I, that's why I want to be like, Tina, you can talk shit on him now, even if he helped you accidentally at one point as he was putting your voice on his song. Um, okay, so then... This all builds up to this final moment where she and Ike travel to Dallas for a show and he offers her a chocolate bar. And she says no because she's in that white, Yves Saint Laurent suits and she doesn't want to get chocolate on her suit. So he starts beating her. But this time she hits him back for the first time and they really get into it. And she goes at him. They get up to the hotel. She massages him. She orders him food. She makes him feel better as is the routine, even though she was just beaten as well. And then when he falls asleep, she grabs her bag and she makes a run for it. And it's okay. So we're going to take a little break, but when we come back, it's Tina's escape. And it's, it's a really, really wild story. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? It's actually much bigger than these two brothers stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults how I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes, some are motherfucking villains, but you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for presale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, and we are back. Tina has grabbed her bag from the hotel. She has no plan and they have a show that night, but she just goes running and they're in a weird hotel area. So as she runs out the door, she runs right into a four lane highway and she's looking back on Ike in that hotel and looking forward at at four lanes of traffic and just runs through them. And she's like, it's a miracle that I, like, make it across that highway. But that's how badly she wanted to get away before he woke up. And when she gets the other side, she sees a Ramada up on the hill. So she runs into the Ramada, and she's like, my name is Tina Turner. Um, I just got into a thing with my husband. I have no money. And because Ike controls everything. He controls her credit cards. He controls like the cash. She had, 36 cents. Yeah, that's right. She had 36 cents on her. Um, but she doesn't, she doesn't even have a credit card. She doesn't have a checkbook. She has nothing. And the Ramada manager thank God, takes her in and gives her a room for free. And this is how she finally escapes, because previously she had tried to escape to her mom's, and her mom had given her up and called Ike and sent her back. She had tried committing suicide, and it didn't work. And so she realized, like, I just have to escape for reals, and this is how she does it. Such, so intense.
1: Yeah, and... I think I believe that's like the ending of the movie. What's love got to do with it. It's like yeah. her sort of like finding this freedom and interestingly enough. So my, the first way to art movie I saw was what love got to do with it. And I think I was like, I was pretty young, maybe like 10 or 11. And my mom was like, we have to watch this movie. And she pops in the VHS she, I remember her fast-forwarding past the rape scenes, but she let us watch the rest. And I always thought back to, like, why was my mom so insistent that I watched this movie as a young girl? And I I, I know that when I was small, my mom left my dad when I was six months old, and she had nothing. And I think that was just, like, the story she was always trying to tell me. It's like, never be in a situation where you have nothing. Um, and ever since she always told me like, if you get married, have like your own bank account. Make sure that you have the things that you need um and you know at the end of the day I'm always here like I remember lamenting the fact that like I was like I could never buy an apartment I live in San Francisco it's so expensive I need to get married and have a double income and which is so nuts
0: no because no you did not need to find a man for that (laughs) yeah you just bought an apartment by yourself Taylor I did. Um, And I love this is my own happy ending story of like, that's my watching this movie. You're now here with your own (laughs) checking account in your own apartment. And yeah, I, I relate to that so much. I also, I watched my mom um, go through this as well and watch men control things. And then when you want to leave, you just actually don't even have the power to leave people all the time. They're like, why don't you leave? Why don't you leave? In Tina Turner's case, she literally didn't have a dime, you know, like that's or she didn't have a parent, she didn't have anything helping her leave. And I'm totally the same way. I've always been like, you know, I'm in a relationship now, like we have separate checking accounts and I'll always have a separate checking account. And like we have a shared one, but like I'll, I'll never give up my own bank account. I'll never have something that doesn't just have my own name on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I love your mom being like, we're going to watch this movie. (laughs) Yes. Right. It's intense. It's intense. I, mean, it's I intense. think
1: she was like, I'm gonna raise some like wonderful independent daughters here. And yeah. So I'm so and thankful she for did. her. For
0: that. Little homeowner. <laughs> um Yeah, so the movie does end there and kind of goes to her big success kind of immediately, and it misses my favorite part. My my favorite parts of the story. And maybe it's because it's the parts that I I can relate to as well, but so Tina starts hiding out at friends' houses. Remember, she's she's a superstar. She's like peak superstar. In order to feel okay sleeping on friends' couches and hiding there, she starts cleaning their houses for them to be like, is it okay that I'm here? Because I'll clean for you. She doesn't have money. And she says, better to be a maid than Ike Turner's wife, which yeah. is, whoo, what a quote.
1: Right? Yeah. I, I mean, underlined that one. I know.
0: <laughs> I'm like, whoo. Oh, that's a sword. And then, okay, so we get to the Rhonda part of the book. This is, my, this is one of my favorite parts of the book. It was totally missed in the Kurt Loder memoir, and it's kind of hidden inside it. So at the wedding at the top, her maid of honor is a woman named Rhonda. And she's like, this is my friend who's been my friend for life. And then when you get into it, you realize that... Rhonda is a backup singer who toured with the Ike and Tina Turner Act. She's a white woman, so when they go through the South, they have to hide, depending on where they are, they have to, like, hide Rhonda in the cars or under the bus so that, you know, racists don't flip out and get violent by seeing a white woman with Black men and Black women And then in other areas, Rhonda is the person who they send in to the hotel to book their rooms. Because they're like, oh, this white lady's here. Yes, we'll give you a bunch of rooms. And then Rhonda's like, okay, great. And then she leads the band in, who they would have turned away, you know, because they're racist. But, like, Rhonda gets them into places. Which I love because, I mean, that still happens. You're like, oh, it's a thing of the past. No, like that happens all the time where like when you're black, you can't rent a home in certain areas or people treat you like shit in hotels and things like that. Oh yeah, for sure. I
1: remember, I think it was like maybe 10 years ago, I was driving through Atlanta with my sister and my cousin and my friend Ben, who is British and white and our car stopped in the highway and the police come And we're like, Ben, you have to talk to them. (laughs) And it was just like our natural reaction was like, we cannot talk to these police as three black women in Atlanta on a highway. Um, And so he like gets out of the car and he's like, our car broke down and they like drove us to the nearest Waffle House so that we could, you know, call our parents to come get us. And I was like, that never would happen if you weren't there, yeah. which is insane.
0: Oh, um, yeah.
1: But people always think, like, these are things of the past. and
0: No. It's really not. I mean, I remember you telling me a story maybe, like, two years ago of getting into your own apartment building in San Francisco, and someone else who lives there was like, do you live here? You can't come in the vestibule or whatever. And you were like, I've lived here for years. yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, Um, and had my keys in my hand and opened the door for them because they were carrying groceries. Wait, you opened the door for them first and then they said <laughs> yes. that to you? Yes, and I was like, wow, <laughs> because like, you know, robbers definitely make sure that you get inside safely with your groceries. Oh,
0: my God, Taylor. I hope you remember that person's name. <laughs> I want to like, oh, my God, it's so fucking infuriating. Um. Yeah. Well, that is Rhonda is the guy in in your car where she's just like she's going in as like the white front of things so that they can tour safely and and sometimes gets them into more trouble. And Rhonda also dated Ike and had been abused by him during this whole time because Ike cheated on Tina constantly. And so Um, He gets into a relationship with Rhonda and pretty much every backup singer and he pits these two women against each other, but they both suffer the abuse of Ike and can kind of overcome being pitted against each other as like his lovers who should be mad at each other and they become really good friends. And so when Tina leaves Ike, she stays at Rhonda's house. And she says, Rhonda is a type, is like really feisty and she can fix anything. She says she can fix a speaker, a car, or a life. So she goes to Rhonda and she's like, Will you be my manager? And Rhonda's yeah. just like a fellow backup singer. And right. she's like, Fuck yeah, I'll be your manager. <laughs> and so. Tina and Rhonda have no money, they're living together, and Tina is in all this debt for these concerts she backed out of with Ike. And so Rhonda starts calling herself Shannon and goes around and calls up TV shows and concert venues and is like, I'm Shannon, Tina Turner's manager, we'd like to get a role on the show, we'd like to have Tina come on, and starts getting Tina gigs, and she gets her on the Share show. And then, this is so cool, Cher is in Tina's memoir and Tina is in Cher's memoir because when they meet on this show they both were in similar relationships with men who controlled everything so both of them like they come together on not knowing how to write a check or what a checkbook is and these are women who've made um, hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars at this point in their life they're superstars and they don't have basic skills because of the men they were with and they become really good friends.
1: And also Cher introduced Tina to Bob Mackie. Cher loves Bob Mackie. (laughs) (laughs) Cher loves Bob Mackie. And I always just think of Cher and Bob Mackie. And then I didn't realize, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like Tina totally wore Bob Mackie on stage.
0: Yeah. And anyone who doesn't know Bob Mackie, These are the sequined, the incredibly sequined outfits, sparkly, shiny outfits that you see Cher and Tina wear. Like, that's him.
1: Yeah. And one of my favorite things ever, as I was, like, Googling uh, the other day, is that he made this, like, fire dress. And Cher had one. And Tina had one. And then years later, Beyonce was doing like a Tina um, uh, tribute and he had one more and Beyonce wore it. And I was just like, I
0: just love these like strong women and this awesome dress. Yes. And these <laughs> incredible dresses. Yeah it's, <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. Um, okay, so Tina and Rhonda, they're in a house together. Uh, this is also why I love this because my mom, after uh, one of her divorces, she, we, she lived with her good friend. And it's like, when you, again, I think especially back then and not having financial power, you need two people to make a household income work. So two platonic women being like, we're not going to be with an abusive man. We're going to be each other's spousal support. It is just a, a near and dear theme to my heart. Um, I've written pilots about this. And um one part I love is that and she says, uh, quote, Rhonda and I got really good at turning a dime into a dollar. I'd make a little money for doing an appearance. Then Rhonda and I would go over the basic expenses that had to be paid, rent, gas, food. I actually signed up for food stamps to help with the groceries and the lawsuits. By the time we finished paying the bills, we'd be we'd have about $10 left, and we'd split it evenly. We were the original two broke girls, which I love Tina's <laughs> quoting broke girls. Um, and I just, like, love these women, like, making it work. So... Okay, tough part of the book. They're living in this house together. Ike is mad that Tina's left him. And Ike does two drive-by shootings of the house with everyone inside. And they're hiding out inside. And it's a super scary time. And the first one shoots out uh, all the windows in Rhonda's car. And then the second drive-by shooting Ike does, he shoots into the house while they're there. So when I was reading this book, I really could not believe this part of it. Because this is very similar to the situation that I went through. Um, this is my first time talking about it in public, so I'm probably not going to share a lot. And I'm finding my body's, like, shaking. But um, my high school boyfriend did three drive-by shootings. Um, two were of my house, and one was of my mom's workplace. And obviously, it's a much longer, detailed story. A lot happened in that relationship to get to that point. Yeah. But... um. Uh what's interesting is that the first drive I shooting into the house also took out all the windows in my car. And then the second one was shot through the windows. So I'm, like, l- looking at this Tina book, like, I cannot believe – I just, like, can't believe it. And, um, and those events are, like, such a huge part of who I am. It really – that kind of moment in time changed the course of my life and created a lot of my personality. Um, I dropped out of high school, and I was hiding from him, and – that's when I applied to get into that scholarship school that Taylor and I went to. And I was just praying to get into this school because it was the only way out my mom and I could think of. And luckily I'd been, you know, an honor student and soccer team captain. And I was the editor-in-chief of the school newspaper before I was a high school dropout. So all that stuff got me into this school that then I went and I went to this school, but um I never told anyone. I never told anyone because I really cherished this fresh start and i didn't want anyone to know the ugliness i'd come from lest you think that like i'm an ugly horrible person and i was really now i look back and i i'm in therapy enough to know i was i was pretty intensely dealing with the the ptsd of that event and i just had no idea but um one thing she wrote in the book that really resonated with me is that she didn't want to have an ugly life and somehow she'd gotten trapped into one and yeah. i think that's how you're made to feel when you're go through a situation like that that like you're ugly you're a monster who somehow brought this to you and you have an ugly life that you should be ashamed of and i mean it's been now it's been more than 15 years for me and i still fight off that feeling all the time like even now it's like it's embarrassing it's embarrassing to share it even though you're like there's no reason to be embarrassed but um so taylor thank you for sharing
1: (laughs) i never knew this um I, I mean, I'm glad that I met you um, and that you came to school, but me too. I'm sad of the circumstances. That me you know.
0: too. I, I wish I could have been in a better place when I was like at that school. And now a lot of the things, the crazy things I was doing at the time, you know, make more sense to even me too, as I've like gone back and could figure it out. Um yeah, and I, you know, your memories, might, you know, you lose a lot of memories from from that time. But yeah, that's why I wanted to have you on this podcast too, where I was like, I've never even told my good friends this because I've kept it so close to my chest. And the the times when I felt the most whole in life is when I hear other people's stories, because you're you're made to feel like you're alone and it's an anomaly and it's this shitty thing that happened to you. And sadly, in reality, this happens to a lot of people and a lot of women and shame keeps you silent and silence is what helps shame thrive and the longer we're silent about stuff like this the more it allows it to happen to other women which is why tina sharing these details meant so much to me and i'm like you know just like living for this book and then also trying to be like i've been trying to get myself to share this for so long and it's just it's hard to get the words out um and i hope i'm i hope one day i can get in a place where i can like share the whole story um and that I'm brave enough not to cut this part out of the podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm I'm so thankful for you sharing that. And I think it's you know take your time like Tina did, right? Like, right. There there are parts that she she hasn't shared um, throughout her life, as we said before, and then she finally you know did with this book. And I think you know she she says in the book like part of it is because like. Women were coming up to her and saying, like, you saved my life. Um, hearing your story like made me realize that I can, I can get out, or made me realize what was happening to me. And I think that like you're totally right. As we share more of this and like, you know, more people can identify with it and more people can, you know, get the help they need. Yeah, or just and recognize like it earlier. I'm not alone. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Well, I adore you and thank you. And you're right. You know, I've taken a lot of time. I've taken many years, but I'm, gl- I'm glad I'm at least at this point. I also loved what you said about how, so yeah, people, when they hear her story, they come up to her. One of the craziest things that happened is that a guy in an airport, after seeing what's love got to do with it, shouts to her across the airport, Tina, I love you because of your movie. I stopped beating my wife. And she's like, yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Wait, was he joking?"
1: I was so confused. No, I like, I'm. Oh my God. I feel
0: sure it's real because also, you know, we're I'm coming at this from a very like, oh, you know, the woman's perspective. But it's in it was in culture that you you hit your wife. It's yeah, in culture that yeah. being married to woman isn't rape. And so, also, what have we taught men about what's normal and how you get your feelings out and how you deal in a relationship? Like everyone needs it to change, you know. And so, this dude saw this movie and was like, "Oh shit." She doesn't yeah. like when I hit her. <laughs> I'm going to stop. Um, so insane. Okay, so Tina goes to court with Ike for a divorce, and he takes every single thing ever, every piece, every dime they ever made and all future earnings from any music they made. And the only thing she asks for is the rights to her name, which, as we know, he trademarked. And she's like, all I want is my name. And he's like, nope, you can't have that either. And luckily the court is like, you get your name. And that's what she walks out of, Um, or that's what she walks away from the relationship with. And I'm going to read the page about it. It's so funny now. No money for food, rent, or other necessities. No idea how to pay the bills, but two Jaguars. Oh, I forgot she got two Jaguars because they were technically gifts. (laughs) I knew what Ike was thinking. That woman's too old. She's not going to do anything. Denial, denial, denial. Denial. Considering my age, 39, my gender, my color, and the times we lived in, everything was strong winds against me. And you know what I say to people who ask, what do you do when all the odds are against you? I say you keep going. You just don't stop. No matter if there's one slap to the face, turn the other cheek, and the hurt you're feeling, you can't think about what's being done to you now or what has been done to you in the past. You just have to keep going. It's very survivor advice. put it away and just keep going, but it is, you know, people like, oh, you're so strong. You're so strong. You know, oftentimes it's just like, yeah, I'm just like, just trying to live. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I also think it's so interesting, like that her name was actually what she wanted after all of this, because like, as we said before, it was like born of something really not good. Um, and I guess that was her again, like making poison into medicine, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, it's really, really fascinating to me. Yeah.
0: I think, you know, yeah, because that name came with so much ugliness, but I think she knew if she was going to continue to have a career, she had to be able to keep this name even though she wanted to be Anna Mae. But she was like, if I don't keep this right. name, I'll never have a career again. So she's to fight for this thing she never wanted in the fir- first place. And yeah, yeah Ike was, at the time, was totally right to believe, like, she's a 39-year-old black woman. She's never gonna have a comeback. She's tied to me. And so they divorce in 1978. And after that, she's doing small gigs cabaret shows and she starts to be considered this kind of nostalgia act performing in like sleepy casinos and things like that but she just keeps singing until finally she gets another shot at an album private dancer and it blows the fuck up and when the album blows up in 1986 she does the memoir with kurt Loder, and that reveals to everyone The domestic violence she lived through at the time it's like oh she's leaving ike and no one realizes why until this book comes out the book is then adapted into the 1993 movie what's love got to do with it as we've been talking about and then the single what's love love got to do with it becomes a billboard number one hit which is it's weirdly her she's like the most number one singer of sold out live events but this song about this part of her life is her only billboard number one I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, it's a fantastic song. But what's so interesting,
1: too, though, is like, she doesn't write her own music. So I feel, like, so much of it is, like, what people, like, project onto her. But then she just, like, takes it and makes it her own, which I thought that whole whole album um, was just, like, really, really interesting. Even with, like, Private Dancer, like she says in the book, that, like, this song was, you know, it's about a prostitute, which, like, I've I've never had to do. But I just, like, thought about, like, you're always selling yourself and how, you know, her relationship was, with Ike was her, like, you know, selling herself or selling who she really was Yeah, um,
0: yeah while she was with him. That's a good point because it really does feel like the song is about her life. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, she... After that song blows up, the movie blows up. As you said, like people are coming up to her in airports and all these things, and she she makes like one of the most incredible comebacks in history. And then at that moment, she moves to Europe. One, she feels like really in the book. This is throughout it. She's she's feels like she's a lady. She's a classy. Regal woman and Ike made her be this kind of like sultry sexy Tina Turner and she hates it. And so she wants to go to Europe because she feels more like that suits her. Erwin is, of course, there. And then one of the biggest reasons is that she doesn't have to fear Ike, which, yeah, yeah, you know, moving away is like one of the... It's so sad you have to change your whole life, but it's one of the things that can make you feel safe. And then she goes and buys villas and chateaus all over the place and decorates them and goes into details. She's living in goddamn castles. Uh, I'll post pictures on my Instagram, but the places are, like, unreal. Um, Her mom stays friends with Ike. And calls him her son-in-law and is mad at Tina for leaving him until this moment in her life when she gets success on her own and her mom is literally forced to respect her and still wants money from her, but stood by Ike's side. And this is kind of where we get into that stuff of, like, her mom being so horrible to her is, I think, really present when Tina talks about her own sons. And so these four sons that she had with Ike they watch her get beaten their whole lives so these kids take this in and she the one thing she mentions is that she's not a sweet and loving mushy mother herself right. and yet she's not connecting to her mom not being that for her and how devastated she is and then hearing how the kids take it is so crushing um Her two Ike's Ike's son stopped talking to her after the divorce. She alludes that it's because she didn't give them money. The son she shares with Ike brags about being the only real um, Turner kid. And then one night he gets thrown into jail over drinking. And Ike is his cellmate. Like, he goes to jail and he's like, Dad? (laughs) It's like a bad sitcom. And then when he's in jail with his dad, Ike is like, oh, good, you're here. Make my bed. Give me your food. All these things. And that's when their son is like, oh, Ike's a bad person. And breaks free from him. Just when it's, like, on him, like, all the other things. Yeah, doesn't care. Like, like, didn't click for him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But But then, yeah. I mean, mean, if I pitched, like, a dad and son meet in a jail cell, people would be like, no. (laughs) Um, And then Tina's son, Craig, uh, the parts that she mentions about him are crushing, And then you get to the end of the book. And right when the book is about to be published, Tina's son Craig committed suicide. And there's a really intense story that's in the afterword that I'm not gonna read, but it's impactful, it's awful. And and even this part of the book is really, it's hard to even get yourself to talk about it.
1: Yeah, um, it was really shocking for me, to be honest. Partly because, like throughout the book, she doesn't really talk about her children that much. They're not she talks there. about her mother, but she's not talk about her children um, except for you know them. She them she, her wanting them to be independent and trying to teach them that. and you know they've grown up with nannies, and so you and Matt, her and Ike were always on the road. Um, so you really get this vision of these you know four little boys just sort of like running around and then when they do see their parents, they are in turmoil. Um and then all of a sudden at the end you're just like hit with this like truck essentially um of what, you know, of the suicide of, of Craig, which is just devastating.
0: i that that's that is exactly how it feels. Like you take all this in and then a truck runs you over at the end of the book. Yeah. And but it, it needs to be included, it needs to be talked about. You're also like, oh my God. Um So, yeah, that's a really tough part of the book. And I do think, like, because she was so intensely abused from the first moment in life to her mom to the stuff with Ike is, like, it's just beyond. She, I just don't think she, yeah, it's, and then seeing her relationship with her sons, you see how it affected it. And it's really, it's really tough. Um, Okay. Uh, It's at 69, Tina Turner goes on tour again and she says for the first time she finally feels love this time from her audience and yeah she's one of the most she's one of the most sold out tours of all time like she packs arenas and this is when she feels like at her best and she's 69 i love you know a late in life like this is her it girl moment and then at 73 she becomes a cover girl for vogue she before that she was the first black female artist to cover rolling stone to be on the cover of it She's one of the best-selling recording artists of all time, and then at this late-in-life stage, she's just like, I'm so happy. I, I feel so great, and she says she watches her wedding video to Irwin all the time. Yeah, I know. I, I actually kind
1: of love that, um, and I just think it's so adorable. I mean, it's just like, it's how she opened her book, and it's just like that moment of like pure joy that she's just been like waiting for her whole life.
0: Yeah, where she really feels like a, bl- a like a, a blushing bride. Yeah, I just yeah. love picturing her watching the <laughs> wedding video all the time. Right. <laughs> I mean, there were like rose petals falling from the sky. I would watch that all the time. Too. Oh my god! Seriously, like if there ever was a wedding video to watch. <laughs> and then in this kind of same section, Tina Turner. Bless her fucking heart. She writes an entire page about chronic diarrhea. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> she like really goes into it, and you're like, oh my god, Tina. Tina's <laughs> like slightly warning you before. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> which I appreciate.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, it, and she's going through so much intense health stuff that. She lives in Switzerland, and she signs up for assisted exit, which is legal assisted death because she's going through so much and so much pain. This is when Erwin decides to give her his kidney. And again, like another, like, crazy romance story. They have, uh, well, actually, first, okay, so he's like, I'm going to give you my kidney. She's like, okay, great. Then her blood pressure medication isn't making her feel great, so... (laughs) So she installs new pipes in her house that have crystals in them instead because some wellness practitioner was like, these crystals will lower your blood pressure. She's like, great. Yeah. She stops taking her blood pressure medication because she's like, I have new pipes in the Chateau filled with crystals. And then three months later, the doctor's like, what happened? Whatever was left of your kidney is completely destroyed. And she's like, oh, I thought those crystals were working. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, to be fair
1: to her, she does talk about how when she had TB, she like underwent like um or she's like traditional Chinese medicine and it really did help her. So she was like, Oh yeah, like maybe homeopathy is the way to go here and you know, just forget
0: all these doctors and things. I know. I mean, again, I am a owner of crystals. I am into new age healing methods. It's it's just, you have, I don't know, listen, you do you. But for me personally, what I've really realized is that you just, you have to have both. You have to hold both because yeah, I had, I, I, I shared it on the Jessica Simpson episode, but I had a really intense surgery on my right ovary, right? I had a tumor and I was so into new age health methods that when I had pain, the first person I went to was a chiropractor. <laughs> I was like, I'm having a lot of, like, pain on my inside. Like, can you, like, give me an adjustment? And they were like, you need to go to a hospital, ma'am. <laughs> and then later I ended up going to a clinic. So, yeah, you got to hold both because because of this crystal thing, her kidneys destroyed and the kidney surgery becomes an emergency has to happen now surgery. So she and Irwin are wheeled into the hospital holding hands. Um when she recovers he wheels in in a wheelchair and says "hi darling" and he's just giving her his kidney and what i found interesting and somewhat sad is that you can tell she still feels she needs to defend her relationship with erwin where it's like you guys have been together 25 years but she's like to yeah. anyone who ever thought he was gold digging or this wasn't real or whatever he gave me his kidney and it's like tina right. i i'm so sorry anyone was ever shitty to you because you don't need to you don't need to defend this relationship of 25 years But I think it's also just,
1: you know, she's always been like so very image conscious, as we had talked about before. And there's always this idea when you know a younger man, an older woman, or vice versa, that like someone's after money, and which is crazy because he
0: was a record executive, like he wasn't like a poor guy. (laughs) Right,
1: right. <laughs> yeah. He had like a beautiful like flat in Germany and
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, you know. <laughs> well, okay, so then Tina's which she redecorated. Which she yes, which she while he was out of town. He goes out of town okay. and she's like, Everybody come in and redecorate this shit. <laughs> and he comes back and he's like livid and then she's like, Can you get used to it though? And then like he's like, Okay, yeah and then they're together. <laughs> so (laughs) funny um so then as she's recovering erwin brings her the idea of doing a musical based on her life and this memoir to give her something to focus on as she heals and uh, taylor i know you have a differing perspective so i'll give my perspective on this and then i want to hear yours okay so for me i'm also a creative and having a creative project gives you a lot of life force so i think he was giving her these projects as like something to keep Something to, like, keep moving forward as opposed to settle in to the hospital bed and, like, never get up again. And so I also—and also I love that he gave her the memoir because if, if she hadn't given this us this, all we would have is the Kurt Loader take. Like, we would have never had right. her actual perspective. But Taylor, you had a really interesting take on this.
1: Yeah, so okay, when I was like halfway through this book, I was like, My love story. This is going to be a book about Tina learning to love herself and how she sort of like gets there. And I think some of that does come through. But then in the end, I realized that she's talking about Irwin. And that sort of really upset me, especially when she, you know, she comes back from the hospital and she was like, I was just so excited to be retired and eat chocolates and, you know, sit by the lake and enjoy my fricking chateau in Zurich. And then he, like Ike, is like, wait, I'm going to come control your career here. You need to write a book. There needs to be a documentary. We're going to do a Broadway show. And I was just like,
0: why can't this woman just rest? I mean, when you said that, I was like, oh, devastating point, (laughs) Devastating point, because I will say, I feel like it is such a thing in TV and movies to be like, oh, we're doing something about a strong woman. She can't have a love story. She needs to love herself. And there are even movies where it's like, oh, my God, I finally love me. Right. I'm, I'm definitely in the place where I'm like, fuck that. Every, most people want a good love story. You know what I mean? If you want to learn to love yourself through Erwin Bach, 30 years younger than you, like, whatever. I'm <laughs> fucking here for it. The fact that... It's not totally clear if she wanted to do all these projects. I mean, she says it in a positive way of like, I thought I was just going to rest. But then, yeah, I don't know. You're right. You're right. It was rough. It was a rough moment. She says everything in a positive way, though.
1: It is one of her strengths that she recognizes is that, you know, she's always optimistic. (laughs) Yes,
0: very true. Although, I will say, I love that the musical happened because she basically focuses on getting healthy enough to go to this premiere. Yeah. So she goes to the premiere of this musical about her life. And when the Ike... Wearing Armani, yes. (laughs) When the actor playing Ike comes on stage in the show, she realizes she feels nothing. She's like, ha, fuck that guy. I don't feel anything when I see Ike anymore, which is so cool. Then she goes on stage at the end of this premiere night, and she tells the actor playing Ike, I forgive you. And then she later tells the New York Times... Yeah, I actually don't forgive him. I just kind of said that. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to... Like, why would I forgive him? And I was like, that is what I... And look, I have a problem with forgiveness, but, like, that's what I'm here for. Like, what are we talking about? We forgave him for beating you for 20 years. Like... Right. And then the New York Times is, like, says something back to her, and she's like, listen, we don't even need to worry about Ike. He's dead, so let's move on and talk about something else. And I was like, this is... (laughs) That's the happy ending that I loved in this book. And in the same interview... The guy looks around her chateau and at all her fine things and da da da, and he goes, "Do you believe that you deserve all this?" And Tina says, "I deserve more."
1: I literally clapped when I read that word. <laughs> I was like, "Yes!" Um, recently, a friend that was doing like one of those like Instagram story things, and it was like one of those like question answer things. And one of it was like the question was like, "What do you wish for the world?" And she said, for every Black woman to feel fabulous. And I was like, fuck yeah. And my mind just went right back to that when she said, I deserve more. I deserve more. And I was like, fabulous Black women, killing it. Like, it's just, it's so true. she I mean, not just the things that she went through, but I mean...
0: Even had she not gone through that. Everyone deserves more. Yeah, everyone (laughs) deserves more. But on top of that, you know, she's a superstar with a superstar career. And she's given us so much music. Like, of course, she deserves that. Also, you kind of want to go back and be like, why did that reporter ask that? But whatever. I deserve more is just a gift (laughs) to all of us. And I'm going into my life with the I deserve more um, energy. Okay, I'm going to read the very last page of the book. My parting words to the audience that night and my parting words to you express the way I feel about the story of my life. Remembering the old Buddhist expression, I said, it is possible to turn poison into medicine.
1: I can look back,
0: there it is. I can look back and understand why my karma was the way it was. Good came out of bad, joy came out of pain, and I have never been so completely happy as I am today. Come on, Taylor, that is a love yourself journey. It is. (laughs) Okay. You're right. <laughs> I will give you that
1: from the, from the, you know, last few sentences, but the last few chapters.
0: <laughs> but let's yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. It's a good point. Okay. So we end uh, every podcast with a thank you to the author. So I want to thank Tina for talking in detail about abuse while simultaneously being such a successful, positive person. Bob Mackie-wearing woman. Um, she's given a face and name to things for lots of people, but but selfishly myself. <laughs> oh my God, I already cried on one podcast. I'm not <laughs> doing it again. <laughs> but this book, it really helped me a lot. So thank you so much, Tina, for writing it because this is the book I needed, even more than the movie. The movie makes things nice. like this. This is the story that I really needed and it really means a lot to me that she shared it
1: one of the things that I really loved was that she showed that like a woman's life doesn't end at, you know, 35, right? Like that's the movie ends that way, right? She gets her name and everything's good. Um, but as she said, she lived what, like 40 years without Ike or whatever, I don't, more than that at this point. Um, and I think we often as women, like, get this idea that, you know, of youth and of like not being able to like change our paths. And for me reading this, this was just like such a thing. It's like, you know, my life is, has so much more Yeah, and there's, like so much more I can do. Um, and I just, I really love,
0: I really love that. I really love that too. That's so nice. Oh, man. See, this is a great book. <laughs> Taylor? It really is. It really is. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I, like, even, like, looking at you now where I'm like, oh, my God, we've known each other since high school. I cannot believe we're doing a podcast together right now. Yeah. Um, but, but thank you for doing this book with me. And it was a hard one. And also, you. you dressed up as Tina Turner for Halloween. Like, you're the perfect person for this. Um, I will post Boy, photos. I love Tina.
1: Love Tina. Tina.
0: <laughs> and... Um, what is there anything you would like to plug or your social media handles? I think you're private, so I don't even know if you want to share your social media handles, but <laughs> anything you want to plug to people. Um, the only thing that I want to plug
1: is um be good, be good to others, learn. <laughs> um, there's a lot of crap and injustice and craziness happening in this world right now, and all we need to do is To understand one another and to educate ourselves um, and not put that on people who are undergoing uh, the, the craziness that's happening in the world. So that's my plug. That is a
0: great plug. Do the work. (laughs) Do the work. Do the work. Especially if you're the person who needs to do the work, (laughs) and don't put the work onto the people who (laughs) are suffering. Um, Wow, best plug ever. You just plugged like, (laughs) (laughs) be good in life. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. That's all for this week's episode of Celebrity Book Club. I will be posting an Instagram story that goes with the entire Tina Turner episode. Go, so go follow me uh, on Instagram at Chelsea Devantes if you want to see the visuals. And we will see you next week. I could not do this podcast without our amazing production team here at Stitcher. Producer Brandon Nix, executive producer Daisy Rosario, and associate producer Corinne Wallace. You can listen to ad-free episodes of Celebrity Book Club only on Stitcher Premium. And if you want a free month, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code books. And um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. <laughs> I'm going to go take a bath and have some wine and I will see you guys next week.